being aware um, to not step on everybody's toes because you're going to step on certain people's toes no matter what. Um, just try not to step on everybody's toes and try to be your own unique self uh, while doing working as hard as you can and doing the best uh, that, that you can as you learn and adjust and, and adjust it as you learn. Welcome to Balancing Point Podcast, where you will experience the captivating world of professional ballet. On this show, you will hear what it takes to make it in the exclusive world. Each guest will share with you their struggles, their I've made it moments, and their advice for success. And ultimately, you will learn what it is really like to live your dream. Join your host, Kimberly Falker, and today's inspiring guest as they take you on a behind-the-scenes journey into ballet. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Balancing Point Podcast. My name is Kimberly Falker, and I am your host. Today's guest is Barry Corellis, who is coming to us from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, he's currently a f- professional freelance dancer. Uh, prior to this, he danced with Houston Ballet and PNB, or Pacific no- Northwest Ballet. He also has a history of dance at the Kirov Academy and School of American Ballet, and his his experiences and his wisdom is really interesting and a great interview. And most importantly, he's working on a new project right now called Choreography, where he goes out into the world of dance and creates kind of a mini documentary on specific dancers. So you'll hear a little bit more about that today, and you'll be able to uh, link into that on my website and see a little bit more about his project. But for now, let's go ahead and get started with Barry Corollis. So today I've got Barry Corollis in with a really special project, and we'll kind of dive into his history and his journey in dance and then share with you guys a little bit more about his project um, called Choreography. So anyway, Barry, thanks for joining me today, and um, go ahead and give the listeners a little bit of your history in dance, because I know you have a really rich background, and then we'll jump more deeply into your project, which I'm really excited to hear more about. Sure. Um, so I'm originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, and I trained at the School of American Ballet and at the Care of Academy of Ballet. Um, I started my career dancing with Houston Ballet uh, back in 2003, and in 2004, I joined Pacific Northwest Ballet, uh, and I danced with Pacific Northwest Ballet for seven years. I uh, got to dance a bunch of great ballets up there and I got to begin my choreographic career there as well. They have a, a great program called the, uh, now it's called Next Step. It used to just be the choreographer's showcase, but, um, it gives the dancers of the company a chance to just dabble in choreography. And I really, uh, enjoyed that experience. Um, so I've been pushing forward a lot with my choreography. Um, I actually live in Philadelphia now. Um, Oh, you do? Okay, I'm yeah, sorry no, that's, then. That's, that's fine. I, um, I left P&B in 2011 because I wanted to try something new. So I moved to, to Philadelphia, um, which was nice because I was moving closer to home. Um, and I joined Ballet X for a season. And at the end of that season, I started freelancing. Um, and for a good solid three, three and a half years, I focused only on dancing. I didn't do any choreography. Um, and I unfortunately suffered an injury a little over a year ago with, uh, Oakland Ballet, um, while dancing with Oakland Ballet. And, um, at that point I was like, you know, it's time to start focusing on choreography again. So 
I have I took an interim artistic directorship with Alaska Dance Theater, <laughs> all over, um, and then from there I, uh, I I came home to Philadelphia in January of this year, and I've really just been uh, focusing on my choreography. So, kind of, let's go a little bit further backwards. Uh, you did, um, like you said, your dance with Kirov and School of American Ballet. Mm-hmm. And when you got into Houston, what was that process like? Did you audition or was it um, from a summer program or kind of how did that occur for yeah, you? Yeah, it was, I actually have kind of an interesting process of getting to Houston Ballet. So um, my first major summer program was Houston Ballet, um, uh, I believe 1999. Um, and at that time, Ben Stevenson was the artistic director of the company um, and I had gotten into their year-round program in 2001, um, and last second, I I kind of panicked, and I was like, I need to be closer to, to New York and to Philadelphia, because I was from Philadelphia, and I appreciate the New York dance scene. Um, so I ended up changing my, my mind to go to the Kirov Academy of Ballet. So did you do that year-round as well? Yeah, so I did the Kirov Academy of Ballet year-round. I never went there for the summer. Um, I actually auditioned two days before the program. Started and I moved there on September 9th, two thousand one. Oh my god! Yeah, it was a very hectic time of my life. Oh, I bet. How old were you at the time? I was uh, eighteen years old. Okay, so up until the point of eighteen, you trained in your hometown and did summer intensives like most aspiring dancers do. I was kind of a late bloomer in the ballet world. I did. I was more like a competition jazz kid. Um, and when I was fifteen. Uh, the Russian Ballet Theater of Delaware, which is now a defunct professional company, um, they brought Robert LaFosse from New York City Ballet down to choreograph um, a Nutcracker, and I performed with them. And there were some children, uh, some some kids from School of American Ballet that performed in that. That's really what inspired me to switch from competition to ballet because I'd never really seen that side of them. So that's really where I transitioned more into focusing on ballet. So my first summer program, I was. 16 almost turning 17 um and only when i only the year that i went to the kirov is when i started really focusing on ballet and then so then after you were done with the kirov you auditioned for houston or how'd you wind up there again so when i my stories are always really interesting so when i i left the kirov i had a core core to ballet contract with colorado ballet oh um, wow okay and i and that was through an audition, or how'd you do that? They came that? and watched class at the Kirov. Okay. Um, okay. And so I, I, I still had that summer to do something before I took that job. Um, so my friends at the Kirov, because I had been rejected from the School of American Ballet multiple times. Um, <laughs> you mean for their summer program or their year-round? Their summer and their year-round program. I tried both. Okay. Um, and so my friends, because we lived in the dormitory, uh, they were all going to the audition. They were like, you should just go. It'll be a fun class. Um, so they were able to convince me to go to the school to, to, to that audition, and I surprisingly got a full ride to the summer. Um, and since back when I danced in Delaware, I was inspired by people from School of American Ballet. It had always been kind of a dream of mine to attend the school. Um, so when I got for the summer, of course, I went for the summer, and I called them up, and I was like, look, I have this quarter ballet contract, but it's my dream to train in your school. I would be willing to turn it down um, in order 
to, to train another have that experience exactly. um and they told me well we don't offer positions in the year-round program until the summer until a port a, a portion of the summer program has happened and they suggested i sign my core contract and i did um and i got there <laughs> three days into the summer program i was pulled aside by jock soto and peter bull and they offered for me to stay for the year and i actually decided to uh to break that contract with Colorado Ballet. Oh, until you did stay. To train stay. for that year. Because I, I just felt that it was an opportunity that... Yeah, that very few get. So what did you think? Did it live up to your oh, dreams? Oh, it was <laughs> incredible. The first couple of months I was, it were, were kind of disappointing because I, uh, I'd given up this company position and wasn't right. in the top level. Um. Of, of the school and I, I was really lucky that I had uh, Jock Soto really pushing me and Katrina Killian um, two great teachers that are still in the school and they told me to get into some extra I was taking intermediate and advanced level classes and after three months they moved me to the top level and before I knew it I was performing a, a leading role in the workshop so in the end at, at, at first it was really nerve-wracking because I had given up a pro- becoming a professional um, but then by the end, it was like one of those like huge jumps that was just, uh, it was really exciting and really, I think it changed the trajectory of my career. Were your hopes to get asked to stay there and be in that company or Absolutely. what were your thoughts? At yeah. That time? Um, I think that everybody's, everybody goes to school, American ballet, either, Wanting to be in one of the top companies, and the majority of the kids obviously would love to get in New York City. Right, it's a great resume builder either exactly. way. Exactly, right? <laughs> um, and I I was sort of trained more classically, um, and I didn't understand a lot about Balanchine when I arrived to to SAB. Because Kirov is pretty Russian. Oh yeah, right? I, I could. Which like, I mean, I guess Balanchine was Russian, but his. The Balanchine style is nothing the same, Exactly, right? yeah. I couldn't do Petit Allegro for four months when I first went to School of American Ballet. It's, and what is that? Like, explain what that uh, means. Small jumps. So in class, we go from bar okay. uh, to center. Um, and then after we do things attached to the floor and center, we start doing a jump. So you progress from smaller jumps, Petit Allegro, uh, up to larger larger jumps, which might be... Soda shots like the big jump, the split jumps that in the air right. and that stuff. So why could you not do it from just the training at Kirov doesn't do that? The or? training at Kirov, it's it's very classical. Um, it's very structured and slow. Um, it gives you a great foundation for technique. Um, uh, but when it comes to then I don't the, the the organization has changed a lot, so their training might be a little different. But at the time. Um, we were much more focused on technique than we were on uh, movement quality that would be necessary in more contemporary styles um, that are in companies today. Um, so to move fast and then to do it really fast with your feet in the air, it was just I, I wasn't ready for that because my technique was so solid, but it, I, I had only... I, I guess I guess the best way to explain it is the slower you move, the easier it is to refine. And the faster you move, the sloppier it can get if you don't have that strong technique beforehand. And the curve really focused on that. Um, so it was just a completely different way of thinking once I had, had moved on to the School of American Ballet. 
So you did that year, and at the end of the year, what happened? So I was excited to be in New York because there were all most all company auditions come to New York City. Um, but at the same time, I was nervous because I had given up a company position, and I was thinking, what if I don't get a company position? Um, and obviously, a lot of us there were hoping to get New York City Ballet, and I was given some hope that that was a possibility by the staff. Um, but I was still... I still wanted to audition, so I auditioned for somewhere between 12 and 16 companies. Did they all come through there, SAB, yeah. or did you have to go Most find the, them? Some came from there, um, and then I think two companies, uh, Carolina Ballet, and I can't remember the other one, I uh, traveled and took company class with those okay. organizations. Um, and I ended up getting offered a handful of jobs, but so I, I auditioned for, for Houston Ballet, and um, that was the year that... Uh, the new artistic director, um, Santiago Welch at the time, knew um, he was taking over the company. He hadn't taken over yet, um, and uh, he ended up he ended up offering me an apprenticeship, which was interesting to me because I had gotten into the year-round program under the former artistic director, and I had chosen to go a different path, and I ended up getting hired by the new artistic director to go back there. So it was really interesting full circle uh, situation for me. And then what happened with um, SAB? Did they just kind of, did they ever give you information as to what happened or why not? Yeah, um, I I had, like I said, I had a couple of people that were really rooting for me to get into the company. So they were able to pass on information. I wasn't completely left in the dark. Um, as I started getting job offers, I would talk to them. And um, I guess they would talk to Peter Martins. And uh, when I got the position with Houston, I was really excited about it because obviously I'd gone to the summer program. It was kind of a, one of my dream companies. If I could choose a few, that there was one on that list. Um, and uh, so I, I asked, and they asked Peter Martins, and they came back to me and said that he's interested, but he wants to see everybody at workshop before he offers uh, any apprenticeships. Um, so if I have a definite yes, and I really feel like I want to go to that company that I should consider taking that option versus waiting, which I don't know if that was a nice way of saying no. I um, know. I, I, I could see how that would make you wonder. You know? yeah. um, so I, so I, I, I had a lot of thought behind it, and um, just looking at where I was in my class and everything, I, I felt that uh, I wasn't the kind of dancer that was going to immediately rise to the top. I felt that I was going to need some um, and I felt that going to Houston, it's still a large company, but it's not as massive as New York City Ballet is. Right, right. So did, were any of your peers that, um, you know, you kind of felt that you were similar to, did any of them make it on through? Or I always wonder about how that goes down behind the scenes, you know? Well, it's and it's different every year because sometimes New York City Ballet has needs mid-season and they'll take people straight out of class. Um, but... Uh, more often than not, or at least when I was in the school, more often than not, um, you would find out either uh, after the Monday workshop performance, because they have two on Saturday and one on Monday. Um, so, yeah, that year was a large year for uh, the company to take apprentices. I think they took seven to nine. Wow. Yeah, because I hear they're really um, very limited right now on, on really? space. Yeah, so I guess it does change. 
yeah, over that, the years, that, you know, I guess with every company, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because like you hear like the urban legend of some companies take taller dancers, some take, you know, you know, different styles, but that has to change year to year too, right? Yeah. And as, as I've gone through different levels of companies and I was a union rep for, for the American artists for a couple of years, it's interesting to see how it comes down to finances. It comes down to maybe a shorter dancer left. So they need, even if it's a taller company, maybe they need to replace their short dancer that left. Um, they need a tall man that can grow into a princely type role. Like there, there's so many different factors that, uh, I've seen that really go into uh, the needs of companies from year to year. Right. And that's, you know, part of why I even began this podcast is to kind of unveil some of those unknowns. And a lot of um, good chunk of my listeners are aspiring dancers kind of at the phase that we've been talking about. And then also a huge chunk of listeners are parents of these kids. And, you know, all of us that are parents don't understand anything. <laughs> and so yes. it's trying to help give some guidance to the kids on how to even approach it. You know, even like what what you went through with auditioning for companies. I I don't even know. You know, I'm, I'm growing into this process as my daughter gets older year to year. Yep. So it's really interesting for every year that, that she grows, I'm learning a new phase of the process. Yeah. And so a lot of her peers just this last year kind of went through that, that process of finding the potential like second company phase. So it's like that almost, almost professional, not quite type yeah. of thing. And, you know? and that, that second company uh, thing that's been happening over the last decade is I feel it's really valuable because when I was starting my career, there were really only a few uh apprentice companies or transitional companies, however you want to look at it. Um, I think there was really only American Ballet Theater Studio Company, Pennsylvania Ballet Second Company, and maybe one or two other in, in the U.S. Uh, and now it seems like there are many more opportunities for dancers to have that uh, that year that kind of teaches them that transition. Cause, right, it's true. You know. Yeah, because one of my previous guests that dances with um, Harper Waters that dances with Houston Ballet he got into their second company and he kind of explained it's like a two-year process and your goal or your hope is that you get that opportunity to join the the first company but even if not it's a great resume builder for other companies if need be and and funny thing my my year at houston ballet as an apprentice was the year that they started that hb oh really okay (laughs) wow yeah and, and i was always or i've become surprised in all of these interviews to learn how small the second companies are. I always visioned them to be like, you know, 50, 60 kids, but, you know, oftentimes only like eight to 12 people. So it's very, very small. It's, it's like a, a little bit larger than a group of apprentices. Right. <laughs> um, but definitely small enough that you can get a lot of individual attention. Is that year as an apprentice stressful? Like, or do you feel fairly confident throughout that year that you've, that you're okay or are you able to gauge that yeah it I, probably means i can't imagine that stress throughout that, the year i think everybody's apprenticeship um year is very difficult because if you haven't gone through that second company phase especially um you're you're transitioning from a student to a professional it's not it's not a slow process you're thrown right. in the studios you're understudying you're there all day yeah you're not getting corrections anymore you're not learning yeah right? um but uh, it's essentially an apprenticeship is essentially a 
a test for a company to see if you are the right fit. Because most of the time, it's not like I mean, there 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 are multiple ways to get into into a company. Um, a lot of people, yes, get into companies through schools. But if you're hired like I was away from the school, they see you for two to four to however long their audition is, hours, um, and they see potential. They don't see work ethic. They don't see uh, how you work with other people and personality. They might get a glimmer or or a glimpse um, uh, of that, but they're not getting the full picture. Um, So for me, my apprentice year was, it was really interesting because I, uh, I was hired from the School of American Ballet. I knew the organization, but everybody was on every everybody was kind of on edge initially that year because nobody knew where they stood because there was a new director. Oh, so it was almost true. like a new apprentice year for everybody, right? Because <laughs> some of the seasoned company members potentially had their job on the line too. Because right, yeah, um, did that happen? Uh, did many there people was a lot go of transition or? with Houston wow. Ballet um, within. Three or four years of me leaving the company, um, I didn't recognize more than half of the people on the roster. And every, I've actually been through two transitions because I was hired by Kent and Kent Stoll and Francia Russell at Pacific Northwest Ballet their final season as artistic directors. Oh, yeah. And then <laughs> um, <laughs> Peter Bolt over that. People are going to start wondering about you when you come in the room. I know. <laughs> There's so, so I've been through a lot of transition. Um, but yes, that's so, kind of neat. Sorry. Did, so did Peter um, hire you, or did the the previous directors? I was hired by Ken and Francia there. Okay. Um, and because Francia had come down to Sage Valley during my apprentice year in Houston Valley, so okay, it's all it's all very everything gets very interconnected at a certain point. <laughs> oh yeah, so kind of going into your apprentice year, just as a, a words of wisdom to the kids getting into apprenticeships or second companies. You mentioned work ethic and personalities and such. What would you be? What would be advice that you would give to somebody that's brand new on how to approach it to make sure that you're not going to uh, mess up too badly? And, you know, if yeah. a technique and ability aside, I'm just talking about pure like personality or how to approach it from a. Um, I was really surprised my apprentice year uh, going into the company because I felt I'm an apprentice. I need to prove myself. Um, so I was, I was in, I didn't have an issue with work ethic. I had, I had sometimes an issue with being overzealous. Um, and it's a fine line, but, uh, I guess the, so, so, okay. I, I would push myself to the front of class. I would go for the extra pirouette and sometimes the extra pirouette would work out. And sometimes it more often than not, I would fall out of it. Um, so, or, or when I pushed myself to the front, I started to notice people weren't very excited about me being in the front, um, which really confused me because I had a principal dancer come up to me at one point and say, you really shouldn't be standing in the front. And for me, I felt, well, you're a principal dancer. You've already proven yourself. You have, your, have a stable position. I'm an apprentice. I need, to be up, I need to be reminding them every day that I'm here and that I work hard and that I, I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, but slowly over time, I realized that... Uh, a company doesn't necessarily exist like a lot of finishing schools where you're only there for a year or two. Um, there's a lot more history in companies. Right. Um, and if you've been, and now that I'm a, an older dancer, uh, I, 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 I know how it feels on the other side. You want to, 
you've been there for a while, so you want respect. Um, you're taking class with the same people, well, most of the same people every single day, and you want to be comfortable in your space. Maybe you like to be in the front, maybe you like to be in the back. Um, so my suggestion as an apprentice is really not to go in with any expectations, but to go in uh, as, almost as an, uh, an active observer. Um, don't be afraid to push yourself to the front. Um, because you do need to be seen, but also be be aware of what other people are thinking, um, and, and how they conduct their their day. And don't just assume that if they go once that, or if they skip going in the front once, that that's not where they usually want to be. Um, right. <laughs> be aware, but don't be so hyper aware that you're messing yourself up. Because um, once I had that conversation with that principal, I was con- I was always concerned about what was happening around me, um, and I felt. That'd be hard not to have that get in your head. Yeah, you know? it's it's. I mean, it's like life. Life is about balance. Um, it's like anything else. <laughs> um, but it's it's just being aware um, to not step on everybody's toes because you're going to step on certain people's toes no matter what. Um, just try not to step on everybody's toes and try to be your own unique self uh, while. Doing, working as hard as you can and doing the best uh, that, that you can as you learn and adjust, and, and adjust it as you learn. That makes sense. So you got into the company and how long were you with um, Houston then? I was with Houston for just that apprentice year. Um, oh, okay. The way, the way that the organization functioned was uh, different than other organizations that I've worked with. Um, they're set up with the union contract through AGMA, American Guild of Musical Artists. And uh, they, I don't know if they still practice this way, but the way that they functioned before was that they, the apprentices either had to be promoted to the core after one year or they had to be let go, um, mm. non-reengaged, as we say, or fired. <laughs> <laughs> there are many ways to say <laughs> The nice and not so nice. Yeah. But so... Um, what they would do every year is they would non-reengage all of the apprentices when the time that the union contract said they had to let them know. Um, okay. And as they found out whether they were going to get enough money to add a contract or if a dancer was leaving the core, um, they would start to let people know. Um, and unfortunately for me, I was getting really mixed messages because at the beginning of the season, I... Um, for instance, I did like a tray pack or yeah, tray pack, um, the Russian solo in Nutcracker. I did that. I was the only apprentice that got to perform that. Um, I was an understudy for In the Middle Somewhat Elevated by William Forsyth. I was getting to do a couple featured roles just as an apprentice. Um, and then February came and all of a sudden I was getting nothing. And other, huh. other apprentices were getting a chance. And for me, being new to the system, I just assumed that that was a bad thing. Um, right. But I, now that I look back on it, I, I can see that likely the director, he was giving me a chance to see if I was going to have potential. Um, and he wanted to give some other dancers that chance. So he had to take mm. chances away from me. Or for me, I felt like I had done something wrong. Right. Um, that wasn't, I could see that. Yeah, that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, so when they non-reengaged all of us, I was panicked. I was like, okay, well, I'll, it happened around the time that I started getting fewer parts. So I was like, I really need to look for another job because I don't know if they're going to offer me a position. Um, 
So I ended up auditioning for Boston Ballet and Pacific Northwest Ballet and maybe one other company. And I got a job with both Boston Ballet and Pacific Northwest Ballet. Um, How'd you choose PNB then? PNB was a core contract in Boston Ballet. They wanted to hire me in the core, but they um, were short core positions that year. Oh. So they offered me a second company position. Um, and also, Which is not considered professional or is it? It's professional, but for them, it's not union. Or Got it. Okay. Um, so I, and also I had really, where I had been doing classical, much of my classical ballet, much of my training, um, that year at School of American Ballet really changed me and I really latched onto that style. Um, okay. And so I had gone from classical Kirov to neoclassical uh, <laughs> SAB to classical former English moving towards like Australia. Um, so when I got the job from PNB and I knew what I, I knew that I really liked that style and if I could stay with the company for a period of time, I could develop myself into that style of dancer. Um, I took that opportunity uh, and I maybe should have checked with Houston Ballet to see if they were going to offer me a position at that point. But I, I saw what I wanted and I, I took that and I signed the contract. Were they surprised that you did that? Um, I, I couldn't really tell you that, um, the communication, especially with apprentices, because we were so young and so inexperienced, we weren't always told, uh, how people felt or why things were happening. Uh, the culture was really to just be very submissive. Um, okay. and that's, that's common amongst that. That's common in ballet. Exactly. Um, cause you're supposed to be that blank, that, that canvas. canvas. Yeah. Um, so at the time, I, was, I wasn't the type of dancer to go up and, and be like, can we talk about this? Um, I don't know hardly any that are. Exactly. And I'll tell you what. Today. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I keep trying to like encourage my daughter when she has questions. Well, just ask. Yeah. What, you know, no, you can't do that. that and I mean, that's, I think that it's hard. as you get more comfortable with uh, either administration in school or in companies, I think that it's easier to do that. Um, and as a union rep, um, with Pacific Northwest Ballet for three years, I was a great advocate for people to always talk to management if there was an issue or a concern or casting. They wanted to do something casting-wise. Um, and I would actually offer to go and sit in with dancers in meetings because I, I think communication is yeah. one place that dancers really, uh, they fear speaking up. They do. And, and the, the crazy thing is it's, the questions that are being asked are not so horrendous. It's not like in a corporate world where you might be asking for this huge, you know, bonus or upgrade. It's really like, should I be at this rehearsal or not? Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like it's, very it's simple questions. Clarity. Yeah, it's clarity. And it's, you know, half the time it's like a question of a yes or no answer. Mm -hmm. It's not saying, can I have a chance at having this lead role? It's, do I need to be here today? You know, and it's just crazy how... Uh, non non willing kids or or dancers are to ask the question that is just clarification yeah. really. but it's anyway um <laughs> moving on so how was pmb then uh so i spent 7 years dancing with pacific northwest ballet um and it's it's really interesting when you're in it versus when you're out of it cuz it's now been i think a little over 4 seasons since i left um, when you're in it, you you get you get into the culture, and you are very excited when you get cast well, and when you don't get cast well, you're trying to determine like what does this mean? There must be some underlying meaning behind it. Um, okay. And uh, 
I, I enjoyed many aspects of it, and at times there were things that, uh, looking back, I'm like, things were great the entire time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, I know. Yeah, looking looking back at it, sorry, but at the time, like, maybe casting went up two, two times in a row for two different programs, and I didn't get to do anything uh, featured, or I was second cast, and I was like, why am I second cast? <laughs> um but looking back at it, to ex- the experience of dancing in a major company in the U.S., um, it's just incredible uh, to be a part of a major opera house, to be working with amazing artists, to have live music at every performance, um, people making beautiful costumes and beautiful scenery and uh, amazing chore- working with amazing choreographers. Like th- That experience, it- it's really irreplaceable. Yeah. I could see that my we, my daughter was there this last summer and really loved it there. I think it was a really great program. Yeah, it's when when I first joined the company, it was a very well known well known well known summer program in school. Um, but since Peter Bull has taken over, it seems like it's been been getting a lot of great attention and really been become a one of the schools that everybody just wants to go. To. When I when I teach a lot, actually, I. Had, when people find out that I dance at PNB, they're so excited. They're like, oh, that's my dream company. And it, it, it was interesting because when I was back over a decade ago when I first started dancing professionally, it was definitely one of the top companies. A lot of people would be like American Ballet Theater, New York City Ballet, San Francisco Ballet. Um, and PNB was sort of, if well, those don't work out, then I could, next step would be PNB. But now, I mean, it's, it's exciting that it's, it really is. I'd say it's definitely in the top five of people's, you know, yeah. top tier choices for summers, at least. And obviously company as well. But, you know, that's a whole nother world. <laughs> so when you left there, what was your de- decision for leaving? Um, so I was at the point in my career where I was a senior core member and I was getting to do uh, principal and soloist roles uh Semi-regularly. Um, I got to do Puck in A Midsummer's Night Dream. I got to do Mercutio in uh, Rome, Rome, Romeo et Juliette. It's Jean-Christophe Melo's version, so it was in French. Um, but uh, I was getting to do those roles, but it was becoming more clear to me that I wasn't going to get promoted. Um, and like I said before, when you're in that thought, you don't go, wow, I really have it that great. You're thinking, I need to move forward. And dancers were like that you're always correcting yourself in the studio when it comes to your career. You're also like, I need to be getting better. I need to be excited. Um, How do you know that, or why did you think, or how did you know you weren't going to? um, It was a combination of, like I said before, I didn't ask a lot of questions to management when I was really young, but I I started to ask more questions. Um, And Peter Bull had told me at a certain point, um, he was like, I don't really see you um, moving up, but prove me wrong. Um, and I was, I was getting uh, most of my opportunities in the, contempor- the contemporary repertoire when the classical rep would come and the neoclassical rep would, uh, would, would be performed. I would generally, the highest I could do was a featured role, um, but most of the time I would be dancing in the core. Um, but so I, I had gotten to that point where I was, it had been three or four years that I had been performing this role as a senior core member that did solo that acted as a soloist getting promoted which meant that I was 
Dan, if we were doing 10 shows per program, eight to 10 shows per program, I wouldn't get any days to rest. If I was like, I did Mercutio two or three shows. I did the core five shows. Um, and then the solos and principles, if they did Mercutio, um, they would do three to four shows and then they would have the rest of the shows to rest their bodies. And I was starting to get, I was 27 at the time and I was, my body was starting to note this a little bit more. And I was thinking this is, it, it was great when it started and I felt like I was, I was really moving forward and I was exhausted, but I was hungry. Um, and I was starting to get to the point where I wasn't, uh, I, I was I was definitely hungry to keep on progressing, but I, I was like, I need a little bit of a break. If I keep on doing this nonstop for like ten years, like I'm going to have nothing left in my body to to walk. <laughs> um, so uh, beyond that, like I said, I was really excelling in the contemporary rep, um, and I was starting to want a different experience. Um, for me personally, Seattle wasn't it, it didn't feel like home to me. Um, okay. The the culture was was different than what I'm used to. I'm from I'm from the East Coast. I'm used to a fast pace. Right. It is. I'm used different. to people yeah. being a little bit more like this is what I want as opposed to well, sure, but they really mean <laughs> that they, they don't. Want that. Um, <laughs> uh, and with the drizzly weather, I was ready for some sun. <laughs> um, so I started looking at at different companies, and I, like I said, I was really starting to focus on the contemporary stuff. So I, I wanted to see what I could do to make my career last as long as possible. Because I think that there are multiple career-threatening injuries. There are physical career-threatening injuries, and there are emotional, emotionally career-threatening injuries. And I felt that I was on track um, to have an emotional career-threatening injury, if I had stayed there. That makes sense. Um, no, that makes and sense. And it's funny, because now looking back four years ago... If I knew what I if, if people say this all the time, if I knew what I knew knew, knew yeah. now, um, I'd probably be very happy. <laughs> um, but but you are where you are when you're supposed to be. So, right, that's true. That's true. So since then, you've been doing freelance, okay. and has that been probably? It's it's like being an entrepreneur. You have to kind of navigate your your. Uh, goals and your days accordingly yeah, um, you're not being told what to do which i mean ballerines often like on a day-to-day minute-to-minute are being told what to do and i think that that's really a, a huge learning curve yeah huh? free- freelancing for me uh it has been really fascinating because you go from um when you dance with a company your job is to show up be in shape and perform rehearse right. perform Right. Um, and then take care of your body afterwards. Um, that's all you have to really worry about. You don't have to plan rep. You don't have to sign. You don't have to worry about uh, negotiating contracts. You don't have to worry about travel. You don't have to worry about accommodation. So many things right. involved in freelancing. Um, sorry, in, in professional company life that is done by administration. Um, mm-hmm. So when I began freelancing, um, I really had no idea what I was doing, and I had no idea what I was signing up for. Um, and I. I like to write <laughs> um, in years past. Yeah, I love Thank your you blog. Um, yeah, I, I like to write, and I, I didn't really know how to go about freelancing, um, and also I didn't know how to market myself, uh, and I knew a lot of people that had no idea how to freelance. I didn't have a, I didn't have a huge community to reach out to, to ask for advice. So I decided uh, 
to include all of those things into a blog so that as I learned the ropes, I could share my experiences. So I could give tools, I could give experiences, and I could also have kind of a diary of what I've been doing. Right, of the journey. Yeah. And then yeah. on top of it all, it, it, it could be used, I hoped at the time, as, as a marketing tool. Um, and altogether, it's, it's really surprised me that now th- uh, three and a half years later, uh, I've had a, over, officially over 100,000 views. I have viewers from countries that I would never expect. Uh, I have like a huge, I have a huge uh, following in India, which I never expected. It, well, that's yeah. fun. Um, <laughs> you have to go over there and do a yeah, meetup. Yeah, I know, I do. <laughs> um, I'd love to go to India. But, you yeah, know, so through that blog, I was really lucky because um, as, I, as I started to get more freelancing work, um, people hired me because they, they would tell me they didn't need me, to, didn't need me to come to audition because I would provide my performance reel. Um, on YouTube. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and then beyond that, they already felt like they they knew me because they would read my blog and they saw what my personality was like, how what my thought process was like, and they they were they felt more comfortable to hire me sight unseen. Um, that's awesome. So all my freelancing work, I've been lucky enough. I think I've done two auditions in the last four years of freelancing. And that's it, huh? Yeah, um, <laughs> a majority of my work has either been somebody saw my blog, uh, some word of mouth, or uh, incessant emailing. There you go. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's similar to the, the podcast journey that I've been on. And, you know, I think that when you're doing something like your blog mm-hmm. for the right reasons and you're being authentic in it, then it resonates different and it's accepted different in the world than if you're clearly on with an agenda or yeah. you know it's your blog is sh- is free and shareable with anybody and it's a ton of great content and you know information that anybody that's embarking on a freelance journey could read and learn a ton because you're 10 steps ahead of somebody that's just starting yeah and, and, and one thing that's been really interesting for me with life of a freelance dancer is that um as much as it's helped people i've also gotten some criticism for it of course, <laughs> because as, that means you're doing something right. Then, <laughs> that's good. At least that's what I hear. <laughs> well, I, I back to the submiss the idea that dancers are supposed to be submissive. Um, we are often told culturally not to. We're told to talk about positive experiences and happy things and successes and whatnot. Um, and in my blog, I've talked about all those things, but at the same time, I've also talked about my failures. Um, and I've had them. I mean, anybody that's, I I think that you're not being successful if you're not failing. Um, (laughs) it's true. It's true. Because it means that you're not really putting yourself out there for new things. Well, like like they say in the world of podcasting is, you know, uh, fail fast because the faster you fail, the quicker you can pivot and learn and move forward. Exactly. Yeah push yourself out there and fail fast. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but so, so with the, with the idea of putting these things out with all the criticism that I've gotten from people, like you shouldn't say that, like, Oh my gosh, that made me really uncomfortable. I can't believe you shared that. Um, I've every time that I've gotten one of those comments, um, the reason that I've kept on blogging and this actually is also an aspect of my project, which we'll talk about soon. Um, but, uh, 
there's always been somebody that's come forward and said, thank you so much for sharing that. I felt alone in this experience. I thought that I was the only one going through it and that I was, uh, and that reading that really helped me come to terms with that and to move forward. And, and I really appreciate that. So, uh, it's been interesting to see both sides of how people react to, to Oh, for sure. Well, I think anytime, like you said, anytime you're putting yourself out there kind of in a more raw way, mm-hmm. it, it does, it does have an effect both negatively and positively. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's get on to your project. I'm really yeah. excited. <laughs> I'm just gonna let you tell about it and then I'll ask you questions along the way. Sure. Um, so the, I was, I was the interim artistic director of Alaska Dance Theater from uh, August until December of last year. And um, when I came home to Philadelphia in January, I didn't have anything set up. Um, I had been freelancing for three and a half years, and I hadn't been home for more than seven weeks in those half years. Um, and I had finally decided I need to stay home. I needed to find a sense of normal, not going from host family to hotel, from city to city. Um, and I was still recovering from my injury. Um, so I, I wanted to find a way to make that happen. So I, I'm really pushing my choreography now, really focusing on that. But what I've found is that when I contact companies, I'm getting a lot of interest from companies uh, for choreography, but they uh, often have their seasons set up two to three years in advance. So there's a time frame that I have to fill uh, as I move forward with my choreography. So I was thinking, how can I combine all of the things that I need and want um, and uh, enjoy and want to share? Um, so I decided to come up with, I, I was on the train and I was thinking and I came up with this choreography project so that I can be fine tuning my, my own choreography. But at the same time, um, kind of doing an extension of what I was talking about with my blog, um, trying to share things that not everybody would necessarily share while helping, helping people work through life experiences. So I came up with this concept, choreography. It's core-ography, like your core. Um, and the, the idea behind it is that I will be interviewing 12 professional dancers um, ranging from classical to neoclassical to contemporary dancers um, about their life-defining experiences. Those experiences where you might say, it was difficult when I went through it, um, but a couple years later, now I look back and I'm really glad that I went through it because it really made me into the person that I am today. Um, so the, the idea is that I will spend a week um, with, with each dancer and I will... The first day I will interview them. This is all filmed. I will interview them, and then after the interview, we will pinpoint one of those life-defining experiences that we discuss, and uh, we'll work together in the studio for the rest of the week, uh, and I will create choreography and collaborate with them to uh, create a, 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 some choreography that is representative of that experience. And then all of it is edited into a film, um, anywhere from six to twelve minute mini documentary, I guess you could say. Right. Um, so each dancer will have their own mini documentary. Absolutely. Or we'll, it's okay. it's I, I'm planning on it, it's the challenge for me is that I am 
I'm the freelancer, and most of the dancers I'm working with are company dancers. I have a few freelancers as well. But uh, so I'm catering to their schedules. My hope is to be able to get one video out every month, um, starting October 1st uh, okay. in a week. But uh, logistically, I might have to delay a few of them just because, um, like, especially January through April, it's really big performance time. I might not be able to get a couple of the dancers in during that time. But um, right. film all 12 of them into mini documentaries that will be posted to YouTube. And then I've been getting people to try to convince me to make it into a full documentary for film festivals, but I'm not making any promises yet. <laughs> it's in the back of my mind. Never say never. <laughs> so do you have your 12 dancers already selected? I do. Um, I, and how did you find them? Um, I... <laughs> So uh, most uh, most of the dancers are my friends, um, uh, or net, through my network. Um, right, it's a small world. Exactly, <laughs> um, and a handful of them, I, I a small handful of them, I have, I know through other people, and I was really interested in working with them. Um, but essentially, I I went through my my queue of people that I've met, um, and l- like I said before, I di- I've danced with Houston Ballet, Pacific Northwest Ballet, and then I freelance. So I've done the classical group of people, I've done the neoclassical, I've done contemporary and the freelancers. I call myself uh, jokingly a horde ballet um, instead of horde ballet. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I started reaching out to, to people and um, I think that a few of them might have been waiting to see who else was going to be a part of the project. But uh, Of course. <laughs> it, I, I just asked. I, it, I found through freelancing that unlike the submissive dancer that I was trained to be, um, in order to have a freelance career, I had to be aggressive and I had to tell people, right. look, I'm a great dancer. Whereas it, for the most part, you're not supposed to do that. Right. No. I. And So did everybody that you got, um, mm-hmm. you wanted them to have kind of a story of, you know, a story of, I guess, enlightenment or transition or, you know, or is it just any story that you were looking for? Um with all the dancers, I think as artists, we all have had, we have varied physical experience, physical emotional experiences. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's why artists often become artists, um, to express those things. Um, I didn't necessarily, for instance, I, I haven't actually asked any of the dancers what they're going to share with me. Um, I asked them if they were willing to be open and honest in a way that they maybe haven't been before in a public okay. forum, and that's how I really selected my dancers, dancers that are willing to to talk about things. Yeah, um, yeah. For instance, my the first dancer who will be released on October 1st, I think you've had her on a podcast, Lauren. Yeah, Lauren. She's lovely. I love Lauren. And I've known her since I was at SAB, so it's, we've known each other. Well, yeah, you're right, because that's why I was asking that, because she had a huge kind of life epiphany of, leaving New York City Ballet to go to college, which exactly. is completely upside down from what most dancers would ever envision. Yeah, her, her story is so unique. And um, I was so happy to have her as, as my first artist because I feel that her story is very accessible um, to the dance world and to people that are just unsure of what they want to do around that age. Um, and beyond that, Lauren, she, she did exactly what I asked. She was very open about her experiences and uh, the, the fact that she loved ballet until she, it became her job and realized that she'd rather not dance, went to college. Um, and while she was in college, um, and you'll, find, you'll hear more about this in the video if you watch it, 
um, she went through a, a period of depression um, and she was treated for that. Um, and as she came out of that whole college experience and coming to terms with her depression, um, she was able to find her way back back to ballet. And I mean, now she's a beautiful principal dancer with Pennsylvania Ballet. I think she said it's her ninth season with Pennsylvania Ballet. So Yeah, and it seems like she's really coming into her own because you see her everywhere now, which is so neat. Yeah, she's super popular. <laughs> well, it's great because, you know, I think that, again, I think it's the authenticity that shines through with her because she's... Yeah she's real and she kind of is imperfect in all that, yeah. you know, and I think, but, she, and, but she's able to find happiness with all of it, which is right. Right. What we're all seeking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so then that will air October 1st. Yes. And then where's your next, um, guest or where's your next destination I'm, after that? I'm currently setting up my next two interviews. Um, the, in mid October, I will, probably be down in Richmond, Virginia, working with Shira Lanyi. Um, she is a former dancer with uh, Richmond Ballet and Ballet Israel, um, and she is currently freelancing, uh, just started going to college. Um, I'm really curious about what she's going to talk about, because her, her experience in Israel was, I mean, we, we talked throughout that time. Um, it was quite fascinating. I don't know if she's going to talk about her childhood. I don't know if she'll talk about her time in Richmond and Israel or what, where that will go. And then um, at the end of October, I'm actually taking Shira out to Los Angeles um, to compete in the McCallum, the annual McCallum Choreography Festival, which is a great choreography festival. But so she's going to be performing a pas de deux that I created on a gentleman named uh, Alan Abrams um, that I created at the National Choreographers Initiative. So I'm going to go work with him as well. So we're all oh, that's so great. together and. Uh, gonna gonna do that. So I'll be out in LA at the end of October for my third artist. And is that who you know who the third artist is? Then yeah, his his name is is Alan Abrams. He's oh, okay. So that's who you're talking about. Okay. Um, okay. I think he used to dance with Ballet Austin, but he's been freelancing for quite a while. Um, and he recently uh, he he was on he has performed on Glee. Um, oh, fun. And he also recently was one of the thirty drag queens on the VMAs with Miley Cyrus. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that um the whole world of dance out in LA is a whole different ball of wax, isn't it? Like how they approach cuz it involves more more than just the stage and the theater. Absolutely. I th I think that he finds a really good balance of uh concert dance versus commercial dance. Yeah, I guess that's what you call it, com concert versus commercial. Yeah, and I, I know he's concert trained and that's his passion. Yeah. He's also been able to get some good work with commercial. Well, that'd be fun to be able to have that. You know, it's just similar to how dance is different in New York City than in L.A. In New York City, there's sometimes opportunities to be involved in Broadway and such. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, or the opera, or you know, so it's kind of neat how both sides of the country have different opportunities. Mm -hmm. Well, I just love that project. I, Thank you. I think <laughs> I'm really uh, excited for it. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it'll be a great, um, I'll link... I'll link the uh, trailer into my show notes, but as you get new you. new shows in, just shoot them my way, and I'll put them onto your show notes, too. Absolutely. Well, Barry, thank you for your time. I really appreciate all of it, and I'm, I'd love to follow up with you later and hear more about what you've learned along this process. Sounds great. All right. Well, have a great day. Thank you. You, too. All right. Thanks, Barry. Take care. 
And thanks everyone for tuning in to Balancing Point Podcast. Be sure to stop by my website and on Barry's show notes page to check out the video trailer of the project that he's working on and to also follow as the project goes on any new additions. It's a really great project. I'll also have links to his blog, which for any of you that are out there in the world of dance looking for jobs or freelancing or even looking into auditions, his blog is just amazingly thorough and really, really, as we talked about, authentic and very real. I really enjoy reading it, so it's, it's definitely worth looking into. And definitely stop back next week for more of the Ask Megan show and then another new fabulous interview on Balancing Point next Friday. So until then, have a great day.